Welcome back to the Daily Thread. It's a beautiful day over there in Florida. Not so beautiful here in New York. That's just the way it is. So I, I'm very happy for you that you get to experience that weather over there. Yes, it's, uh, it's nice. Um, I don't know what you're seeing behind us, but uh, it's a, a very warm morning. Uh, uh, and it's beautiful blue sky. And uh, like I said to, to you uh, when we were talking privately before that, uh, you know, people are coming down in uh, large numbers now. People that spend months here. Okay, okay, so let's discuss an interesting story that's taking place. There's a, there's a lot going on in the world, um, some of which, you know, we've spoken about already. Some, yeah, as always, the world goes around and so do the stories. Uh, Ryan Terrell uh, from Yeshiva University standout basketball player who entered the NBA draft. He did not get drafted. He did get hurt in a pre-draft workout or he was practicing and he got hurt. I think he hurt his, maybe his Achilles or something. And Ryan was drafted in the G league draft. For those who don't know, the G league is basically the minor leagues for the NBA. Um, It's a a place where teams consist of players who are uh, coming from overseas players that, um, are drafted also and pl- teams stash their players there to develop. So Ryan was drafted by the Detroit Pistons G League team. Um, I believe it's the okay. Grand Rapids, the Grand Rapids Drive. So okay. here, we, here we have a from Orthodox Jew who okay. is going to be in the NBA's minor development league. So I'm pretty sure this is the closest we've been to having a from Jew in the NBA. And uh, oh. That's true about the NBA. Um, you're right. That's true about the NBA. Um, of course, we had a baseball player a couple of years ago, uh, Mr. Steinmetz, um, who was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks, right? And yeah. I don't know. I don't know I what feel his status like, is right now. I feel like the, the MLB minor leagues is a, is a further, it's further away from the major leagues than the NBA G League. There are multiple levels of minor league baseball. And it, a player, it's Steinmetz, uh, who is young. I mean, what is he, 18 years old, 19 I years old? I think he's 18. I think he's probably 20 by now. This was a story from about a year or so ago. So those players generally, more. those players generally, you know, they're they're in the, the minor league system for, for a little bit before they get a shot at the, at the big leagues. It'll start probably with spring training. But a guy like Ryan Terrell in the G League, ultimately he'll have a chance, you know, as long as he's healthy and playing, if if he goes and he performs, you know there there comes a point in the NBA season where you know ten day contracts are given out to players who they want to see in right. the NBA, and we know right. that's how pl- that's how players like Jeremy Lin in the in the past have right. have right. developed careers. So you know I think he's he's pretty close, um, and we'll see. Hopefully he he's healthy and he gets to play. And the question is, I don't know, is he going to wear his yarmulke on the court? Is all are, are they is he allowed to wear his yarmulke on the court? I don't, I don't, I mean, not halakhically, but I'm talking about in the rules of the league. I don't, I don't know if someone's allowed to have something on their head, to be honest. Well, they have, they wear the headbands on their heads, don't they? You know, I, it's, uh, it's, on their for, it's on their forehead. It's on their forehead, I think. Okay. Some of them, when they, after they break their nose and they come back, they put these face masks on. You're talking about a little piece of cloth that's, you know, pinned onto his head. He has a good, shocking uh, head of blonde hair, you know, not like uh, Naftali Bennett to have to glue the yarmulke to his head. Because he didn't have any here, so you know yeah. Ryan Terrell, Ryan Terrell could uh, keep uh, his yarmulke on his head. But uh, when you hear about a, a, a guy from an Orthodox family, uh, a guy went to Yeshiva University, and I saw him play last year. I went to watch him 
uh, and one of the when they won 50 games in a row, I think I was there for the when they had their 49th game that they won in a row. They ultimately, after 51 games, they they lost the game. And I watched him play, and really, he's very uh, thrilling to watch, very outstanding uh, uh, on the court. Um, uh, the question really is not so much about whether he has a yamaga or not. It's about Shabbos observance. And he's already said in the story that I read from the Jewish News Service the other day, uh, he said that if the arena is close enough to uh, wherever he's staying, he'll be and he's able to walk over to play. He's going he's gonna to go play. So how do you feel about that? Well, what if the arena is not close enough? Well, then I guess he's not going to play then. You know, Amari Stadmeyer had the same problem when he was coaching the Nets. That's why he moved to uh, Brooklyn Heights. So he could uh, be with the at, on the next bench uh, for the uh, Saturday games. So uh, uh, that that's the question. I guess the team has to be able to uh, accommodate him once they make a decision to um, to bring him up to the big uh, to the for the big show, as they say. I really wonder what happens, you know, because the the most well known uh, story that we know is Sandy Koufax take, taking off on Yom Kippur, and Sandy was uh, he was an all star. He was an amazing pitcher, so of course the team is going to bend bend over backwards to accommodate. But would an NBA team bend over backwards to accommodate a schedule like that for someone who's maybe a fringe NBA player who who like it's a long shot if he'll make the league, and if he does, how you know like where does he? I I don't know. But to be honest, yeah, you know, I think, I, I think it depends on a lot of things. You know what? You know what I think it depends on? You have to look up who owns the Detroit Pistons. It really depends to a great deal extent on who the owner of the uh, of the team is, what their sensitivity to this type of uh, thing is, how they acted in other situations when they had to accommodate perhaps other uh, players that had different religious beliefs. And of course, they're going to want to be consistent. And um, on the other hand, there may be a situation that. Uh, they don't want to get involved in. Uh, what do you with. What are you expecting to hear? The name Goldberg or Friedman as the owner of the Pistons? Is that what you want to hear? Because well, the owner of the Piston of uh, the Pistons is an American billionaire businessman. His name is Tom Gores. Uh, he's a founder of Platinum Equity, a private equity firm that is based out of Beverly Hills, California. Doesn't look Jewish. Okay. Doesn't doesn't sound Jewish. Um, but we have to. Uh, we have to. We have to you do know, for example, we have to do some more research. For example, like we're we're already in our minds, we're already we're trading we're trading Ryan Terrell Ryan Terrell to a different team. Um, we, let's trade. Hey, we want to trade him. We want to trade him to the wanna, to the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. The no, Milwaukee so you Bucks. Him, you, you want him on the Knicks or the Nets? There's plenty no. of kosher food stands. There's plenty of kosher no. food stands in the Garden and and in no. the, in the Barkley Arena. We want him on the Milwaukee Bucks. The owner, one of the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, is Mark Lassery, who's okay. who's a yid, and uh, I, I think I think that's a good place for him. So uh, we're 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 making that petition. If if Ryan gets you know called up to the next level, maybe it'll be in Milwaukee uh, with okay, Giannis. But he's got he's got he's got a way to go. He's got a way. He's to got go a way to go. Yeah. You know, he's a tall, skinny guy, six foot seven. Um, you don't have any Jewish kids. He at he six doesn't. Foot seven. He also doesn't have a Jewish head of hair. Like you don't see many Jews with, with you know, a full head of blonde curly hair like that. I feel like Jews notoriously have bad hair. Do you know? Do you know why that is? Well, do I know why that is? I don't know. It could be related to. Um, um, could be uh, uh, something hereditary. Uh, it could be. Um, it could be a bad diet. Uh, could be the food that they eat. I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with chong and kugel. If, uh, if you, I don't, I don't if, know. I don't know the reason. 
if you go to shul, you take a look around, you will see an abnormal amount of baldness going on, like on half of a head, like under the amica type of baldness, like, you know, the side here and then the circle. How about how about kids your age? You see it in kids in their twenties and thirties, or just men in their sixties and seventies? No, I'm I'm 27, and I know a lot of people my age who who uh, they're they're who on their way. Hair? Lost their hair already? They lost their hair. It's it's already you know yeah. It's but I don't know. It, the question is is that is that something that happens in the non-Jewish world as well, and we just don't take notice of it, or they or maybe they uh, are doing. Oh, no. Just for men, you know, just for men treatments. I don't. I don't know. I think there's plenty of bald heads in the world in general. Uh, generally speaking, I don't think it's a uh, something that uh, uh, special, uh, especially reserved for uh, Orthodox Jewish men. That's what you're referring to. And listen, it's better for you when you wear your tefillin. You don't have the shiloh without having chatzitza for your tefillin when your head is bald. Absolutely no questions. Absolutely kosher. Mahadrin and mahadrin. Okay, so you heard it here, folks. Start shaving your head so you don't have a halachic shiloh when it comes to your tefillin. Is that what you're saying? That's that's one consideration, possibly. But uh, about, I don't want to belabor the point about Terrell, but like I said, the big issue is, is like you said, the big issue is uh, Shabbos observance. That's the first thing everybody thinks about uh, when they hear something like this, whether it's uh, Steinmetz, the picture for Arizona, or whether it's um, uh, Ryan Terrell and... Uh, and that's the uh, that's the big question, and how the teams are going to be able to accommodate that. Do you do you think that this leads to more people, uh, more kids having more from kids having uh, professional basketball aspirations, going into Yeshiva University with that on their radar? I mean, this is the first time Yeshiva University has somebody um, in the NBA G League in the NBA system. I mean, I'm sure they have people who are playing overseas in Israel and other countries, but this is the first time that Yeshiva University has produced an athlete that is on the, you know, in the NBA system. Do you think that leads to more, more, more kids uh, looking oh, down? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be for YU. You have plenty of kids uh, that have athletic abilities uh, from Jewish backgrounds that are in other schools. Uh, whether those schools uh, are able to, uh, you know, pursue, um, I have to tell you, whether they can pursue a professional career via that channel, maybe other schools is a better opportunity because they produced uh, better players over the years. You know, you know what it takes to be in the NBA. You got to be strong. You got to be tall. You got to be able to score. You got to be able to defend. You know, you know better than a lot of people. It involves a lot of uh, intricate, uh, intricate details. Yeah, uh, that is that is true. Okay, so Ryan Terrell, we will see where we'll where he ends up. You. Yeah, we'll what's you. our what's our next story on our docket? Well, we I saw a story yesterday where um, the um, the a, a UN agency is accusing Israel of culinary genocide. Uh, that means that they are uh, adapting uh, traditional Arab foods and uh, taking them and naming them or characterizing them as being Israeli foods. Their claim is that, you know, shawarma and falafel uh, and uh, uh, baklava and uh, all the other uh, foods that are distinguished by their Middle East origin, and these are all Arab foods, and Israel has adopted them and made them Israeli foods. So, you know. Listen, at least they're getting original with what they're complaining about. It's not just the same old, they stole our land type of stuff. But it's uh, they stole our food. I mean, is that really the biggest issue we have nowadays? 
Well, listen, I guess when you run out of things to complain about, uh, you can start arguing about who thought of the idea of falafel first. You know, it's funny because everyone online really calls the Jews that they cry victim so much. But uh, we don't, we're not really complaining about people, you know, eating our bagel on locks. I think we're okay with it. Yeah, but the, the, the Palestinians, I don't think, are adapting bagels and locks. I think it's uh, too far gone, you know, in terms of its uh, Jewish identity. You know, a bagel with a schmear. Everybody knows what a bagel with a schmear is, right? You know what a bagel with a schmear is? <laughs> a schmear. Schmear is a Yiddish word for a spread, a spread of cream cheese on the bagel. So any guy can walk in. The guy never had to be in a yeshiva or never had to have any kind of religious upbringing. He knows when he goes into a bagel store, he asks for a bagel and a schmear. It's a good piece of history. Locks. Without a lot. It's a good piece of history. You know, I don't know if you remember. Remember we were we went, went to Tampa, Florida for Pesach about a decade ago of war. And we were there a day early because Erev Yantif was Sunday. So we were stayed by the Chabad, we ate by the Chabad rabbi in Tampa. Rabbi we Rifkin. We were walking back to our hotel. That's right. We were walking back to our hotel and a guy rolled down the window because he saw us walking in our suits, you know, dressed for Shabbos. And the kid opened up the window and he stuck his head out and he screamed. What, what, what did he scream? He screamed schnitzel. He screamed yes. schnitzel. That's the only word he knew. And he saw Jews walking. He wanted to say something that I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he thought he'd be offended by schnitzel or maybe he was trying to befriend us. I never figured that out. But it, as you can see, it's always stuck in my mind, that uh, particular site. He didn't scream out any, you know, anti-Semitic slurs or anything, uh, you know, extremely offensive. Just that's what he knew. He knew schnitzel. He knew schnitzel, nachi, knew schnitzel, and people know a bagel and a schmear. And I want you to know that I told the story in a column that I wrote in this week's paper. Um, in 1948, there were five Jewish U.S. Air Force veterans that volunteered for the Israeli Air Force. They had, they had five broken planes that they were flying from independence. And one of the planes was shot down by Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. And one of the pilots who was from America didn't know anything about Jewish life, but the Israelis were still shooting at him. So he wanted to let them know that he's on their side. They didn't know what to say. He didn't know anything. They couldn't speak any Hebrew. So I saw, I read the book about this, and I saw a video about it. The pilot started screaming. You know what he started screaming? He started screaming, Shabbos, gefilte fish, Shabbos, gefilte fish. He wanted them to know that he's one of them, not to shoot him. So you see, there's a lot of uh, cultural uh, depth to the uh, way we are identified with the food we eat. So apparently some people in the Arab world are a little bit sensitive about uh, the accusation that, uh, you know, you don't say that the best falafel in Israel is in Ramallah, you know. No, I don't going, think so, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go try it. I'm not gonna go try it out either. Um, but you know what? I, I think I recall a story also about. It may have been during the, the war in 2008 or 2006. Israel, one of the, Gaza, one of the Gaza wars. Yeah, where uh, somebody yeah. was giving out, somebody was giving out tzitzis to the, to the IDF soldiers before they went into battle, and. Um, right one of the ways that a soldier was able to identify himself to one of his friendly helicopters above was by waving the tits he had. And that right. was, uh, that's ultimately what saved him. Um, so that was something that was initiated by, by Rav Simcha Cohen Cook, who passed away this year. Uh, that was an initiative that uh, he uh, implemented to uh, get uh, troops to wear tits uh, in battle as a shmira, as a way really? of protecting themselves. This is an interesting headline I just saw on The Guardian. 
the world's dirtiest man dies in Iran at 94, a few months after his first shower. And an Iranian hermit nicknamed the world's dirtiest man for not taking a shower for more than half a century has died at the healthy old age of 94. It's pretty disturbing. Okay, so he hasn't taken a shower in 50 years? Yeah. He hasn't taken a shower in 50 years? Didn't he ever get stuck in the rain uh, when he was outside, you know, going out to the groceries or something? Does it rain in Iran? You know, I don't know. I don't know if it rains in Iran. Uh, I don't know. They got a lot of other problems besides the drought if they have a drought. So I don't know uh, what's going on there in uh, in Iran. They have about twenty five thousand Jews still living in Iran. You know, so uh, really, yeah. I mean, what what <laughs> what would what would why would a Jew want to still live in Iran? I, I don't think they're allowed to leave. I don't think it's necessarily voluntary. You know, they're not uh, allowed the, to leave. No, no. You know, for many decades, you know, uh, up to a point, Jews were not allowed to leave Syria. Uh, up until about I don't know about fifteen years ago. They, they wow. weren't, allowed, weren't allowed to leave. Uh, first of all, uh, when, when Jews leave the country, like in Iran, you know, it, it creates a brain drain because they're in, they're in high technological and scientific positions very often. And it uh, it drains the country uh, of a knowledge at one point. That's on one side of the, of the equation. On the other side, um, they don't want to be seen by the world as expelling their Jews or getting rid of their Jews. They want at least to create an impression and a facade that they're tolerant uh, of Jews, even though they're constantly talking about how much they'd like to destroy Israel and kill all the Jews in Israel. So you have a little bit of a uh, difficult uh, uh, contradiction that that uh, would need to be uh, reconciled. That's that's terrible. I I don't I I I I think that there should not be anybody living anywhere against their will nowadays. All right. So what's your uh, prediction for the uh, governor election in uh, Florida and uh, in New York? In, in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis is running against Charlie Crist. And in New York, uh, Kathy Hochul is running against um, Lee Zeldin. Well, have, uh, for, I don't I don't really know too much about the race between uh, between Lee Zeldin, but I do know uh, for I mean, uh, Governor DeSantis. Yeah, but I, I do know that he's very well liked in Florida. People love him there. So much so that he might make a bid for president. So we'll see what happens with that. But the Lee Zeldin stuff is pretty interesting. I mean, who's like? I never know what I never know what to believe when you see all these polls. Uh, I don't know. We 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 are we kind of not supposed to believe these polls anymore um, after what's happened. Um, but I think it'd be pretty cool if Lee Zeldin could pull this off. It'd be pretty cool to have a Republican Democrat, a Republican governor in office. When was the last time New York had a Republican governor? Um, you had George Pataki. He was elected in 1994. He served three terms, 1994 uh, for 12 years. Um, so that would be two, 2006. From 1994 to 2006, we had a Republican governor. You know, not only was he elected, even he ran, and he ran against Mario Cuomo, by the way, in 1994. Mm-hmm. And a week before the election, Cuomo was ahead by 12 percentage points in the polls in those days, which were before you were born. Well, so, what happened? Um, you know, there's, no, there's nothing truer than the people coming out to vote and expressing how they feel, okay? Almost the majority is based on falsehood. As a matter of fact, if you ask people in Israel, they will tell you when the pollsters call them, they deliberately lie to them to mess them up. So the polls That's is so- just a... 
it's just it's just it's just a business and the polls that's will so, all uh, that's so israeli <laughs> you have to don't pick on don't don't say disparaging things about israelis you're not allowed to do that's that. that's not so israeli you have you have two polls that are showing Zeldin slightly ahead and you have about another 10 polls that show Huckle ahead anywhere from four to, to 10 points. Uh, so, you know, what is a poll based on? You know, uh, how do they know, by the way, how do they know that, uh, how do they know that uh, 1 billion people watched the Super Bowl? How do they know? They call a billion people and they say if they watch the Super Bowl? No, they call a thousand people scattered around the country. They ask them if they watch the Super Bowl and uh, seven out of 10 people, let's say, said they watched the Super Bowl. It's a whole science statistics seven out of ten people said they watched the super bowl based on that they project that a billion people watch the super bowl but what what does that mean don't they have ratings of how many people tuned in to watch something on a on a network you, i think you what think you're what i think what you're you describing think, might be the radio but when it comes to television i think they know how many people are tuning in i don't think so I, they, they don't they don't know what you they don't know if you're watching the jet game or a giant game on sunday when they're both playing at one o'clock I don't think anyone knows what you're what you're tuned into. They don't see what channel someone's watching. Unless you're driving in your car and you're watching it on your uh, computer screen, then you're on your or they are following or tracking your Easy Pass, and they know where you are. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Again, like to me, the whole polling thing is again like who's a lot of people are just not going to tell the truth. If I'm if I'm walking the street and someone asks me, uh, just a random example. Did you, uh, are you voting for Donald Trump? I'd say absolutely not. Yeah. You know, because okay. someone asks you a question in the world we live in, politically, you're not going to give them an honest answer because okay. if, if it's the opposite of them, then who knows what you're getting yourself into. So I, I don't know what type of polling could be accurate given that, given the, given the, the society, uh, you know, breakdown, like how could that be accurate? No one's going to answer honestly besides for... If they're voting a certain way, but the assumption is that most people are still honest people. That's what it's based on, essentially. Most people, you know, don't think that way. They they give an honest answer, and that's the basis of what a poll is about. And you'll see after the elections how some of the polls were pretty close, and some of the polls were way off. But uh, it's not going to stop them from doing it by the next election. They'll just do it again. On another matter, I think uh, of interest, uh, generally speaking, I've been talking to representatives of Yeshiva University who are in, involved in a, in a case um, where they uh, suspended the function of uh, all their clubs because they didn't want to be able to have a LGBTQ club uh, on campus. But um, I've been speaking with YU officials the last uh, day or so, and it'll be covered in this week's Five Towns Jewish Times as well. Um, they have come up in consultation with uh, Rashi Shivas and the Shiva and Rabbanim, so uh, with the attorneys, obviously. Uh, while the case is pending, the, the case pending, the core of the case is the following Is Yeshiva University a religious institution or is it an educational institution? If it's a religious institution, then they have a right to invoke a religious doctrine in their policies, which means that if halakhically, <coughs> The lifestyle associated with LGBTQ, with a gay and lesbian lifestyle, is uh, antithetical uh, to Torah. Uh, then uh, they can not have to facilitate those kind of clubs on campus. Uh, but if you're an educational institution, 
then they can't discriminate against them. Anyway, um, it's a very complicated case. And um, in consultation with uh, their attorneys and the Rabbanim, they came up with a way in, to facilitate uh, the fact that there can be this kind of club on campus. And um, of course, they're not sanctioning uh, any type of specific uh, lifestyle uh, of this club or, uh, or any club uh, uh, for that matter. Uh, but um, on the flip side of things, they don't want to discriminate against anybody. They don't want to be a, um, a forum where somebody could be discriminated against or, or hurt, God forbid, because of their lifestyle. Whether you agree with it or not, it may or may not be anybody's business. And they want to be able to provide uh, members of these clubs, which is a very, very small minority, by the way, in the school. They want to be able to pr uh, provide to these these. Uh, people that want to be in these, in these clubs, uh, a, a, a Torah environment where they can, can grow in their uh, dedication and observance of, uh, of Torah and mitzvahs, and to, uh, of course, work so that they're not discriminated against by people in general, and uh, teach them, uh, give them an opportunity to do whatever, whatever student, you know, every student in YU does, get involved in, in chesed projects and, and so on and so forth, not to just uh, slam the door on them, but the case has to be heard, and why you has to have a court decide what their uh, what their what their proper rights uh, uh, are. There was a case many many years ago, because uh, uh, it, it involved the uh, archdiocese of New York, I mean the Catholic Church, where there used to be a St. Patrick's uh, St. Patrick's Day parade, and the Archbishop of New York in those days, John uh, John Cardinal O'Connor, banned any gay organizations from marching in the parade. But he got under, came under a lot of pressure and eventually he said they could march in the parade. We're not sanctioning or agreeing to or acknowledging that we agree with the type of lifestyle that they lead. But there's certainly a lot of march. Just, yeah, but the Jew, I mean, it seems like in that in that case, the pressure is what made him switch his mind. The Torah doesn't really bend for pressure. If we did something under a halachic basis, why would any amount of pressure change our decision? Well, you see, uh, the underlying uh, motivation here, I believe, is that nobody wants anyone to be hurt. Uh, I think that's the primary concern. And uh, no one should be hurt, whether they're making a wrong decision uh, or a wrong lifestyle or a, a difficult case or a confusing situation. No one wants to see anybody hurt. Everybody has a right to be protected so that they uh, are not hurt in any way, shape or form. Don't you agree? Is it is it public who the rabbanim that they're working with are? It's the it's the Yeshiva University rabbanim. It says in the in the letter that you're going to see uh, in the paper this week. It's uh, Herschel Shachta, who's the Rosh Yeshiva of the uh, of the of the base medrash and other rabbanim associated with uh, with Yeshiva. But they have to take a public stand and address the the issue as difficult uh, as it uh, as it might be, and it's a complicated issue. It's very complex. I read, I read the entire um, release, the letter, and the facts about the case. It's very complicated. There's things you're going to say, I'm glad they're doing that. There are things about that you're going to say, I wish they wouldn't have done that. And like someone from the yeshiva told me uh, earlier this morning that people are going to disagree both on the left and the right. Some will agree to some of the things, and the same people will disagree to other things. But that's a very, like I said, it's complex. But it needs to be addressed, and it's being addressed in a legal and proper way, in a responsible way. 
and they're addressing it so uh, primarily, like I said several times, that uh, people uh, are not hurt um, and uh, or discriminated against. It, the, the important thing is that the debate has to be out there and uh, has to be had and has to be discussed at a, uh, at a high level, at a high, thoughtful, and reasonable level, not, not, just, uh, not just in extreme terms. You're talking about people, uh, sensitive uh, human beings, and they have to be dealt with accordingly. That's all, I don't think I said too much, but that's all I have to say about it at this point until I understand okay. it better. Well, we wish Yeshiva University all the, all the luck uh, and Hatzlacha with with this situation because yeah, there's good pe- there's good people managing a difficult situation. That's the important thing. Okay, all the best to them and all the best to all of our listeners. Um, again, we're trying to forge forward and get these episodes to you. Um, okay. Although there, all those are there, there is a technological challenge here. But anyways, have an amazing day, and we will see you tomorrow.